0: Hi, everyone. It's me, Ben, and we have for you another panel from the ATX Television Festival, which had its very first event uh, this past June in Austin. The ATX TV Festival is a really fun celebration of television, and if you're listening to this podcast, then you are a fan of television and should make every effort to come out and join the festivities next year. Um, The... ATX Festival is going to be around June 9th, I believe, whatever that weekend is. Uh, For more information, go to facebook.com slash ATX Festival. We really had a great time, and we're putting together some fun stuff for next year. I'm helping those guys out. Um, I can't even tell you what it's going to be. It's really cool. Um, Once again, I have to thank Kelsey Fleming, who was a volunteer at the festival, who sat in the room all day and recorded these uh, and did a great job. Uh, The moderator for this panel, which is the book-to-TV series panel, is the great Meg Masters from TV Line. Uh, Meg, as usual, is a fantastic moderator. Um, I'm so impressed with her, and really she should uh, come and push me out of this game. Um, I still want to know what you guys want to hear, who you want to hear from, whether it's TV writers, fiction writers, comic book writers, whatever um let me know the best ways to reach me are on twitter at ben blacker or to like our page on facebook facebook.com slash nerdist writers panel i look at these things every day uh, and i will usually respond so please let me know who you want to hear from uh on these writers panels um i think that is all enjoy the theme song and then we throw right to meg masters thanks for listening Now entering nerdist.com.
1: It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast channel. Ben Blacker talking
2: writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get
1: pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Thank you guys so much for coming. This is the Book to Series panel. Um, with us today, we have Julie Pleck, who is the executive producer of Vampire Diaries, as you all know. We have Michael Rauch, who is on Worst for Royal Pains now, but he's here to talk a little bit about Love Monkey. And Bob Levy, the executive vice president of Alloy, who's responsible for Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars, Lion Game. Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you guys have all had series that were not adapted from a book. What was it sort of like taking on a project that was a book at first and you green-lighting these series that were novels?
2: Uh, well, I um, we were in an interesting... Situation, Kevin and I, when we agreed to do Vampire Diaries because it was a book series that had been around since one thousand nine hundred and ninety one I think it was published and um, and so we had a lot of freedom to basically look at the source material as uh, as a jumping off point for for how we were going to decide to tell our stories and uh, and it, what was interesting about I think the biggest Detail of the book adaptation was that when you go and you read the first book of Vampire Diaries, you're basically reading the first book of Twilight, and uh, and it's you're like to the point where you're like, ooh, I we're like I don't know how we can do this and not have it be exactly like Twilight. Um, and so we had a lot of situations where we were like, okay, if we follow the book, we are basically ripping off quote unquote Twilight, and yet this book came out a good fifteen years or ten years prior to Twilight, so we finally just decided let's embrace let's embrace the parts of the story that work for us and let's not worry about comparisons when things were too specifically similar we, we, we jumped ship but um, it was really more of an exercise of like okay how do we make this feel unique when it is so similar and how do we put our own mark on it um, and, and in doing that We kind of just said We're going to do Whatever we want And and because the book Had been around for so long The original audience Of the book itself Had grown up Moved on So there was a nice Diehard community Of book fans That you know We hoped would come out And support us Or loathe us Depending on you know What we decided to do And then we just got lucky They, they just They were supportive And happy When all is said and done I mean we had the whole Elena's not blonde Scandal Of, uh, of 2009 And uh, And
3: <laughs> And Bonnie and Bonnie's African-American. And
2: Bonnie's African-American, and uh, Meredith's not there.: And God, where's Meredith? How dare you? Yeah. Um, but no, we, ha- we just I, I mean, freedom would be the key word of the entire experience and, and, and that's why interestingly enough, the adaptation process was very simple and very short. <laughs>
4: uh, I had no problem ripping off the book. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of my intention from the beginning. I was handed a book by uh, an executive at a studio. I went in to pitch. I had three of my own ideas that I was really excited about that I'd worked a long time on. And before I could start pitching, uh, Melissa Kellner just handed me a book and said, just read this. And she said, I want to hear ideas. I want you to read this. So I read it that night, and uh, it was about a guy who was single and had friends and couldn't find love. And I was single. I had friends. I couldn't find love. And <laughs> it was a guy who lived in the Upper West Side. I lived in the Upper West Side. Um, who went to the same place as I went. And it was this amazing experience. And it was about a journalist. And so I basically just shaped the book into a pitch, um, and then went to CBS because the guy who on the rights of the book, Mark Johnson, had a first look deal at CBS. So we went there and uh, pitched it. At 9 in the morning to kind of get it, it was not a show for CBS at all CBS does cop shows And murder and DNA and CSI, you know, all the stuff that I have no interest in, that, but does really well Meat and potato stuff, and this was a flighty little uh, Book About a journalist who writes for a newspaper And likes girls And wants to have dates and wants to find love So we pitched it and CBS bought it in the room um, and, like, Which was Shit. our worst nightmare ever Yeah <laughs> And there was not the plan. the plan was they were going to say, "No, thank you. this is not for us. I 'm going to go pitch it somewhere that 'll put it in the air." Um, and, uh, and so Mark Johnson was terrified, and he was like, "You guys can't buy the show. You cannot buy the show, please don 't buy the show. It's probably the first time it's ever happened. Um, and I didn 't know any better. I was like, "Okay, well, something will happen." Uh, but they said, "No, we, we want to change our network, um, which didn't turn out too well for us. Um, and uh, so they said, "Go off and start an outline." And uh, I flew back to New York And I think it was a Thursday or Friday That Monday they called me and said We're really excited about this project And we really love the pitch Um, There's only one thing And Um. I was like yeah what is it And they're like well the book and the pitch Is about a journalist right And I was like yeah that was the whole pitch Was about a journalist a guy who writes for like the Daily News And all the people who work in the newspaper with him And that's the franchise of the show They're like yeah we'll never put a journalist on the air On CBS so you've got to change that so uh, now, all of a sudden, I couldn't rip off the book, um, which was a blessing and a curse, but uh, it really forced me to make it my own, and uh, in so doing, all of a sudden, I felt ownership over the project in a way that I hadn't up to that point, point. and I think in terms of liberation, it really freed me to, to kind of put my own stamp on the project.
1: Now, Bob, being someone who puts these shows on the air and is, you know, sort of oversees the whole process, what... What do you look for in these series? What makes Vampire Diaries a good one to create into a series? Or why was Gossip Girl, you know, suitable for TV?
3: Well, let me just sort of back up and explain uh, my company and, and our, unique, our unique sort of role in entertainment. And first of all, I'm different from these two guys, from from Julian Michael, and they're writers and series creators and showrunners, and I'm a different kind of producer. I'm a producer who puts pieces together and starts projects and moves on and starts more projects. And I do that for my company, Allen Entertainment, and Allen Entertainment's a company that creates entertainment concepts, and then we produce them in all media. And typically, we start in books first. We create an entertainment concept like the Gossip Girl book series, like the Vampire Diaries book series. We create that underlying concept. We identify a novelist to partner with to execute that concept in publishing, typically in in YA book series. and And then at some point in that book series process, we take that underlying property that we control the rights to because we created the underlying property. And I work on the West Coast in L.A. as opposed to the rest of my teammates who work in New York in our publishing business. I take those rights. I take that underlying concept. And I find the Julie Plex and Kevin Williamson's and Josh Schwartz's of the world and say, hey, we've got this amazing book series. It's a New York Times bestseller. Or in some cases, it's a one-liner that we're going to turn into a Vampire Diaries or Gossip Girl-like successful book series series. And I take that one-liner or that book series and approach brilliant showrunner creators and say, "Hey, let's put on a show. Let's make this into a TV series. Let's make this a movie, because we do movies and, and digital series now as well. And you know, our, our job, both in creating concepts and in then trying to figure out how to best exploit them on the West Coast in filmed entertainment and movies and TVs, is to try to, as best we can, plug into the zeitgeist. And figure out what's hot and where there's an audience and who's gonna buy it. And, you know, unquestionably, Vampire Diaries was to a certain extent a response to the phenomenal success of Twilight, which, as Julie pointed out, is weird because the original book series predated Twilight. So, truthfully, the original Vampire Diaries series, which was the Vampire Diaries book series that was re- originally released in 1991 was inspired by uh, uh, Anne Rice. Yeah, stop
2: probably. Uh, Interview.
3: Interview with a Vampire. And so Interview with a Vampire is one of the hottest things in American popular culture in that period. And our company says to ourselves, well, what's Teen Interview with a Vampire? And that resulted in the creation (laughs) of The Vampire Diaries. Um, And those books were first published in 1991. We found the great writer, L.J. Smith, Developed those, the, the fleshed out the concept with her. Developed those books; they were modestly successful. Flash forward fifteen plus years, um, and you know the vampire genre kind of had its moment with Anne Rice, and then kind of goes into a fallow period and reemerges a decade later in the form of of you know Stephanie Meyer and and Twilight, and that blows up, and God knows. For a long time, that was one of the hottest things in American popular culture. And we still own the rights to these books that were now literally out of print. And we called the publisher and said, hey, you know, do the consumers of Twilight have an appetite for more teen vampire stories? And the publisher agreed that that was a worthwhile question to be explored. And we repackaged the Vampire Diaries books. We didn't change a word. As Julie well knows, they're somewhat sort of – they read like they're from – you know, the early nineties and 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 we put a sexy new, you know, twenty-first century cover on them and they blew up and became New York Times bestsellers for the first time, fifteen years after they were originally written. And so we were able to sort of run into the CW network with our New York Times bestselling book series Vampire Diaries, <laughs> who who said, you know, great, we're excited. That sounds like it makes sense for the CW, and truthfully. You know, I have to shout out to a, 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 a CW executive, um, Jen Breslow, who had a relationship with Julian Kevin, and it was she who sort of put those pieces together for me. Typically, that's my job is to kind of connect those dots, put those pieces together. But it was Jen who said, "Hey, if we're going to do this, let's start with Kevin and Julian and see if they respond to the material." And thankfully, they did respond to the material. And then my job as a producer is to empower the new artist to make the property theirs. Initially, it was ours, and we believed in it, and we loved it, and we created it, and then we handed it off to a novelist, and we said, now it's yours. You have to make it personal to you. You have to breathe your vision into this. You have to breathe life into this. And then we get another opportunity on the West Coast with that same underlying property. Apparently, there's a word for this thing that's, that, that that people refer to now as transmedia. We've been doing it for, for, our company's been doing it for more than 20 years. Our company began with Sweet Valley High in the ni- in the 1980s. <laughs> And now it's called Transmedia. So we take that property that we created, that L.J. Smith first breathed life into, and we go to Kevin Williamson and Julie Pleck and say, Now it's yours. You figure it out. You figure it out for TV. You make it personal to you. You breathe your vision into this. And fortunately, you know, the the hardcore Vampire Diaries book fans responded to the TV series and accepted the changes because Kevin and Julie, you know, did such an amazing job at, at. at at adapting it, at making it theirs, at making it into a TV show.
1: But there is, you know, especially with Julie, Michael, you weren't, I don't know how huge of a fan base you had built into the novel you adapted. Yeah, so I'm sure it was easier for you to sort of veer off of that story. But even though it was your property to begin with, there were some fans and there were obviously, as you mentioned, issues with changing the hair color of someone or, you know, anything like that. How do you sort of Deal with that Is it something that influences your writing at all Especially in the early developments of a project Yeah well the fear is You know it's funny
2: I look at something You know you look at a a book that's globally Globally beloved Like like The Hunger Games for Mm -hmm. example And I remember when I saw the Twilight movie For the first time Really enjoying the movie Because I said this is exactly what it looked like In my head I loved the book and I saw the movie and the movie looked exactly like the picture I had painted in my head and I really appreciated that because I remember as a kid I read Flowers in the Attic like 75 times when I was 11 and, and going to see that movie and being like, good freaking God, like what the hell did they do to this thing? And it's so disappointing. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of more highbrow examples of, you know, <laughs> adaptations that, uh, that failed. But um, that would I was, I, as a 13 year old or however old I was, seeing Flowers in the Attic was catastrophically disappointing. And so what you don't want to do is ruin Somebody's experience. And if there was a book like Hunger Games right now that somebody said, hey, make this for television, you either wouldn't get anywhere near it or you would be so respectful of that source material because it's just too ingrained in everybody's now. You know, um, vampire was everybody's past and a long ago past and, and it's, and the, the people who read the books of the vampire diaries were not even in the sort of target demo or whatever of, you know, the business of the network. So we knew what we didn't want is a viral backlash to begin before the show even got on the air. And so we knew we had to be careful. Um, but, I, I, you know, look, I, the Internet is a very micro, microcosmic, you know, small little sliver of, of of the audience in terms of, like, you can read one website and learn all kinds of things and then read another, and everybody has the opposite point of view. But I believe that we got lucky, and it's a little bit of a shout-out. Um, the the people who ran the Vampire Diaries website, uh, VampireDiaries.net. The, a, van,
3: a fan site.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a fan site that was not affiliated with anybody. It was Vampire-Diaries.net. Um, the instant the, the pilot deal was made, they kind of became the go-to place because they were already they already existed. So they already had a fan site built, they loved the books, they'd loved the books for years, and they decided very quickly, hey, we are going to be cautiously optimistic and we are going to support this. And so it became for us a place where we could go and read things like Holy shit, the character's not blonde, or you know all those things, but the moderators their you know handles are v and red, but the moderators of that of that website were so gracious and wise and 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 smart that they they set the tone for the acceptance from the book community and and so every detail that came out they would print it they would dissect it they would you know there would be some debate about it and the, the the overwhelming point of view from that website was like so far okay let's let's just see what they do and and then when the show worked in their mind they became its biggest champions and so in a lot of ways like I I attribute the Book fan to TV fan Success uh, To that little pocket of the internet And whether that's true or not I have no idea But I like to give them the you know the props For it and they still to this day are like The go to I go to their Site you know <laughs> to find out what's daily. going on In your to show be like, who hates me today oh yeah okay good um, But no it's great And 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 I think that it could have got just As easily gone the other way you can just as easily get the Ones that like screw them can't believe they're doing This hate that and and if that Grows if that sentiment grows virally, then you're, you know, you're already uh, in an uphill uphill battle from the get-go.
3: And, and we if, had the if the show were bad, that yeah, would have oh, been yeah. the reaction. But because the show is good and the audience accepts that it's a different version, and most of the audience is completely new to the property anyhow, it's good. They enjoy it. They celebrate it. Um, for me, you know, again, my whole, my whole career for the last 11 years has been booked to tv adaptations. And our first success was Gossip Girl. Um, And in the fall of 2007, after Gossip Girl launched on the air, um, I was in South Florida producing a movie based on one of our books, the movie Sex Drive. And uh, one of the PAs ran in and said, Hey, Bob, there's an extra outside who's reading reading your books. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So I run outside, and there's a a young woman uh, standing in between takes, of the movie Sex Drive, reading reading a b- a book 12 of Gossip Girl. And and I said, you know, are you a fan of the book? She said, I've read every one. I said, do you watch the TV show? She said, well, I watched the pilot, and I was afraid that they were going to screw it up, but I wanted to see, you know, what it was like. I wanted to see what they did with the characters. And I said, did you like it? She said, well, I thought it was okay But I liked it enough to come back and watch episode two. And then I started watching it and I realized I like it. And now I watch the TV show and I read the books. And I said, so you like both? She said, yeah, I get that they're two different versions of the same thing, and now I love them both. And I was like, Ta-da. <laughs> that's it. That's our company. We're winners. The audience can accept that there's the book version of Gossip Girl and there's the TV version of Gossip Girl, and they're going to be different, and they're going to have their own lives, and they're going to have their own voices, but the same fan can love them both, and that's, that's the goal. Did,
2: did your book have a nice a little resurgence after the show started or is it
3: um I don't think it had too
4: much of a resurgence. The mm. show lasted shorter than this panel. it so wasn't, <laughs> wasn't really a lot of time to build an audience. Um we we aired uh three episodes on C B S and uh we premiered okay and then we went down. It was only three? Three on C B S. We shot eight and then um they very graciously Transitioned us from CBS to VH1. Right. Um, where we where we aired our remaining five episodes um, with uh, very little promotion. Um, so we didn't really have time to see if sales in the book changed. The guy, Kyle Smith, who wrote the book, um, I, I think, you know, he kind of got attention as he deserved to because he's, he's a terrific writer. Um, but I'm not sure if the book sales changed much. Yeah.
3: And interestingly for us, The success of Gossip Girl TV series really did not have much of an impact on the Gossip Girl book sales, but the success of Vampire Diaries had a massive effect on the Vampire Diaries book sales, and they became much bigger bestsellers than they ever were before, and there are now new books as a response to the success of the TV series, and the same same was true with Pretty Little Liars. The, the the books were all, the eight new York, uh, Pretty Liars books were all New York Times bestsellers. But when the TV series came on and succeeded, the sales went up even more. The publishers came back to us and said, we need more new books to fulfill the, the new demand from the new TV fans. And so now we're doing eight new books of Pretty Little Liars.
2: You know, that's the thing that blows my mind, not to not to go off topic, topic but the Pretty Little Liars thing just astonishes me. Because it's a television series that is entirely built and predicated on a concept of who is A. And it's based on a book series that tells you who A is. And... (laughs) And so I've been watching it from the beginning, being like, how is this, like, how is this working? And it, and it goes right to what you said, how people can enjoy it as two completely separate entities. Some people haven't gone to the books to reference who A is. Some people believe that maybe it'll be different, you know. And it, it's blown my mind. It's absolutely <laughs> blown my no, mind. No, it's,
3: it's amazing. I mean, you know, you can read the four books. Book four of the Pretty Liars book series tells you all the answers to all the mysteries, who killed Allison, who is A, everything you ever wanted to know. And there's websites. You can go to Wikipedia, Pretty Liars, Wikipedia. All the answers are right there. But the but the fans who love the TV show want to enjoy the TV show and don't don't race to the end of the of book four. Don't race. They want to let the TV experience happen to them and find out in their own TV time. It it really is amazing. And we had no idea how it was going to work. But but the fans the fans led us to that experience of they want their own experience of it. Amazing.
1: But that, you actually kind of just touched on my next question. There was actually a little bit of backlash, loosely, from the Pretty Little Liars fans because the series has been based around who is A, and people knew from the books, and then they were a little bit let down that it stuck with what it was in the book because the mystery was sort of there. I mean, are you involved in that at all? Is that a learning experience for the producers of that show, or... You know, is that just something that you're going to come in contact with, being that you wrote this series of books and you're making the show off of it?
3: Just technically, I personally haven't been a producer on the show since season one. I produced the pilot in season one, um, and so I'm not really involved day to day anymore. Um, But, you know, that's the question. You know, in some cases, like in Michael's case, the book wasn't very, you know, wasn't hugely successful and there wasn't a giant fan base. And so you have complete liberty to do whatever you want with the book and there's not going to be an angry audience, you know yelling at you they change the book in some cases like pretty liars you want to you have to you have the responsibility to make a successful tv series and make the adjustments you need to make to make the tv series work and to make it fun and interesting and new and slightly different for those for the book fans who do know where the stories go but you have to kind of it's a guessing game when do we change it up to give them a surprise and when do we fulfill what the fans have come to love about the books and all we can never do is take our best guesses and sometimes we guess right and sometimes not we
2: use it as a total crutch we're like well the book did that so <laughs> so whenever we're like taking a big you know big risk and everyone's like why the hell did you do that the book did it you know whereas we follow nothing else from the books but we'll use it as a nice like defense tool
3: stephanie savage the co-creator and showrunner of gossip girl on the very first day that the writing staff of Gossip Girl Convened introduced a great phrase that I never would have thought of to describe her sort of philosophy on approaching the books in creating a TV series and she said to the staff, we're going to take a dream logic approach to the books. We're going to kind of go in and out and we're going to use it when it helps our storytelling and we're going to abandon it and we're going to merge it and we're going to reinvent it and reshape it and I really think that that's a sort of like really kind of smart Healthy approach to the book material is is that sort of dream logic approach to using it and not using it. And again, sometimes it'll the the book fans will be satisfied, and sometimes the book fans will be less satisfied.
1: Um, Michael, given that your experience was so different than anything these two are talking about, mm-hmm. and then on top of the fact that Love Monkey was you know thrown around and you know awesome, did it did it. Put a bad taste in your mouth Or are you happy now That you've been given The opportunity to develop Different shows And work on those Or would you ever Go back to the Book yeah, to series Yeah, I'm
4: actually I'm working with A book right now yeah. For something else Which has been great It's, a, it's about a guy's um, Kind of life And so is, I've been working with him In, in a similar way that, that with Kyle On Love Monkey I did it But I love the experience So much Except when I got the call That we were cancelled And then the experience <laughs> Kind of changed for me um, but, but up to that point, because, it you know, what was... The reason why it got canceled was because we followed um, CSI Miami. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching um, the, the second episode, which was the only... The first episode I'd watched live. I was flying for the pilot. And we were in post-production in lower Manhattan. And we had a bunch of people, like, in this hallway with the TV set up. And we turned on the TV about five minutes early. And uh, we caught the last five minutes of CSI Miami and it was Eric Roberts committing suicide in a prison cell, and and it was so dark and serious and horrible. And then it was like next on Love Monkey, and it was Tom Kavanaugh like skipping through Central Park with a girl on either arm. And I was like, oh my god, we're so screwed. Um, so so it was the it was the wrong network for the show. But but because we were the wrong network, the wrong show on that network, they completely left us alone because they first of all had no idea what to do with us. And I think the executives were so excited to do a show that wasn't about murder mm-hmm. and it wasn't about crime solving. It was about human beings and relationships and music. And so they, they had fun and they really left me alone and left the writing staff alone in terms of the stories we wanted to tell. So up until the call that we were canceled, um, which followed uh, about five days earlier, the network president looking me in the eye and saying, we're not going to cancel the show. Um, but up until that call, it was a uh, complete delight. Yeah. And I, and I loved the experience of working with an author who had I hadn't done that before, someone who actually created the content mm-hmm. that I then used as a springboard. Um, and I felt the responsibility to him and his material. And that was something that was interesting also creatively to try to you know, accomplish both my own vision and protect what, what he had built to
1: Uh, Bob, given that you've had so much success, that Alloy has had so much success, um, and you've dabbled in lots of different areas with your books to series, is there a genre in your head that wouldn't work, that you wouldn't touch?
3: Well, I mean, our our company's very specific niche is you know young female, uh-huh. um, and all of our books, and so you know we we that's one of the interesting challenge one of the interesting questions and challenges for us as a company is you know we can thrive on the CW and ABC family, um, but we'd love to be on a bigger network with bigger budgets and potentially bigger paydays, and in fact. We, we, we finally have our first series uh, scheduled on ABC for this fall, 666 Park Avenue, um, um, which is you know, expanding a little bit outside of that sort of young female thing. The protagonist is about a 30-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, that's an interesting question is how much can we expand what our brand has come to represent to, to our audience and to our readers and to our fans um, and that's you know we do want to do more male stuff you know our our movie Sex Drive um, was a sort of boy POV kind of thing and maybe that's one of the reasons it didn't work commercially was it was sort of you know more it was teen but it was more sort of outside of our of our core of our core business um, and, and, and for some reason our little niche happens to be very effective in translating to TV, you know, given that there are the CWs, ABC families and MTVs that do service that audience so well. You know, and, and there have been other adult book to T V adaptations that have been successful, but what we do happens to work very well for T V
1: Um and we can open it up to fan questions if anybody has them. Right here in the
0: front. Um I guess this is for everybody, but um, when you make changes, like Jeremy's character is a <laughs> toddler in the book, a little
2: girl, mm-hmm. how much of that is fitting it into the world that you're creating on TV, and how much is it from a production standpoint? or it's like the headaches of working with a little girl or a toddler? Well, for sure, in that, in that case, um, it's, you know, the, t- the technical limitations of having a four-year-old. You know, it's like four year olds can 't really act unless they 're brilliant and you know they can 't work longer than two hours and so and you can 't tell stories for four year olds they can 't have a point of view you know so you 're basically shooting so unless the story is about a parent raising a four year old you know and, and the trials and tribulations of being a parent or whatever like that in this particular world it, it seemed like a wasted Uh, character, Wasted Space, whereas if the story is about a teenage girl with dead parents and her aunt who's her guardian, then who else can you put in that house that can be a, a, a differing point of view? Um, to what your heroine's going through And uh, having a younger brother, a teenager Who, while she sort of reacted to the death of her parents In, a, in an internal, you know, lonely But I'm going to put a smile on my face And get through the day kind of way He was the, well I'm going to go sneak out to the stoner pit And make out with the town slut and, and, and do some drugs and, uh, and so it's just like It just instantly creates an entire world of, of character storytelling and puts um, somebody that can have a, you can have a conversation with. You know, Elena n- needing to protect her four-year-old sister, Margaret, is a great drive for your heroine, um, but there's no interaction there. So Elena needing to protect and be a friend to her 16-, 15-year-old brother, Jeremy, is a whole different thing.
3: And to a great extent, you know, a lot of those kinds of adaptation questions are kind of like programming adjustments in, and, and come from a, a programming perspective, meaning who who is the network that's going to run this show, um, who is their audience, and how do we service their audience? In books, we can have a very successful book series that's read only by teenage girls. If only teenage girls buy this book, if a lot of teenage girls, but only teenage girls buy this book, we can have extraordinary success. And if you read our books... Like, like Vampire Diaries to a great extent, but really specifically Gossip Girl or Pretty Little Liars, the parents in those two book series are really barely in it, and they never have point of view. They never have their own stories, and that was the first note from uh, the CW when we sold them when we began the development process with Gossip Girl, is we can't have this just be about the teenage girls because. At, ABC, at, at the CW, they need adult women and, and to some extent, adult men watching the show as well. We want adult characters, we want parent characters to have to be fully developed and fully realized, as they're not in the book series. So that adult women and women in their thirties and maybe even women in their forties can have something to watch and characters to identify within this show. And so the parents on Gossip Girl and the parents on Pretty Little Liars are far more developed and far more fleshed out than they are in the books for, 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 for purely programming reasons.
4: Um, I actually I've adapted the book into a, a screenplay,
0: and um, but my heart lies in
4: episodic television, and I, I came to this one because I was very curious and never thought of it just being a TV series.
0: But um, what
4: I found with books is that they normally kind of wrap up at the end, how do you find the plot points within your book to build a series off of, if the book itself is, if it's not a series like Gossip Girl, where um, it all kind of needs to be a title package? Well, it's actually answering your question was going to be my answer for the previous question, which was since my book wasn't the book I adapted wasn't based on a series, it was one self-contained story. Um, you know, it, the life of a book and the life of a TV series are two very different things, obviously. Um, and when you're building the structure of what you hope is going to be 100 episodes for the storytelling, for the character arcs, and for the entire structure of the series, you need to make changes to the book because books aren't written for that. You know, They're written to tell as you're bringing up a story in 250 pages. So that was one of the things that in terms of the relationships in Love Monkey the book to the show was, was changing ages and changing even genders. And trying to build something that I knew would be a platform for storytelling, not just for the first 22 episodes, but hopefully for many series, to, seasons to come. And I think that you have to, as you're making that adaptation, think about that and liberate yourself from what the pre-existing material is, um, since it is such a different medium. And, and it's going to be so much more interesting to you as a writer and also to your audience to be able to, to create a new world of dynamics
2: that 's actually a really good question, because I, I, you know we, we talk book series all the time because they're still, they are still generating Gossip Girl books and they are still generating vampire Diaries books and spin off books and all that, and so we are completely self contained away from the source material at this point, but the idea of like if if let 's say Battlestar had been based on you know a, a novel a singular novel supposedly Game of Thrones, which is multiple and at the end of the singular novel they found earth and like and then that was your pilot well, where do you go so it's 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 funny like you have to is the con- can the concept support the beginning of the series and do you can you release yourself from the narrative enough so that you're not just spinning your wheels and wasting time to get to the end because the, if everyone already knows the end before you've begun then uh, you know that's it, it's a, an obstacle um, how hard is it to
3: decide like who should be the person to run a TV show based on a book? Like, how does that process for you guys? Um, you know, sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's it's not, and it's and it's 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 always case by case, and we always aim as high as we can. And again, in the case of Vampire Diaries. When this network person said, hey, Kevin Williamson and Julie Pleck, we were like, fantastic. You know, that, that was the beginning and end of that process. Um, you, know, it, it, you know, A, they did our work for us, but B, they, they aimed at the highest possible level and, and, and hit their target. And truthfully, in the case of Gossip Girl, Gossip Girl was the third time we did it. Um, we had done it once before as a TV series, as a TV pilot at Fox, and had and failed, and we sold it to Warner Brothers as a movie and failed. Um, and and the reason that it really worked the third time is because we did find the right person. That's one of the reasons. Frequently, when we fail, and Pretty Liars is the same thing. We developed Pretty Liars three times: once at the old WB network, once at the CW, and then finally successfully at ABC Family. And 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 the success was finding finding that right writer who 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 got it and got got how to do the adaptation so it, it is a very difficult it's a very difficult process and frequently we guess wrong and we're lucky enough to to own the underlying rights and be able to keep trying over and over until we get it right
1: in the back questions? Um, specifically, can you talk a little bit about this like dealing with like activist fan bases um, and that's where you have a very polarized viewing audience and how does that
2: Either influence you or distract you it it influences it distracts it uh, it um, it inspires it uh, it does a lot of things and and what you ultimately have to do when all will said and done is try to shut it out um, because it is so polarized and polarizing, you know I, I will get a lot of feedback about you know I mean the obvious is the Damon versus Stefan, and you get you get somebody you know very 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 boldly and aggressively explaining to you all the reasons why you have made a, the worst choice in the world you know and um, and and in tandem to that, you have somebody t- you know saying to you that was the perfect choice, and here 's why so like I, I always you know it's it, it, Tierney and Karina are sitting in the audience who cover the show for their respective uh their respective press outlets and i we have this joke where i'm like you guys should they do dramatic readings of my twitter timeline where you know they'll like you know like shakespearean where they'll like read the, the comments that get that get tweeted at me and what i always want to say to people is you know hey i look i love i love your point of view but take a minute to look at everybody else's point of view um, because for every ten of these I get, I get ten of the opposite. So that's when I realize I've got to shut it out. Because and again, the idea that Twitter specifically and websites and commenters and all that—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 it's a faction of the fan base, the global fan base. You know, my my best friend, seventy-two-year-old mother, calls me. How could you make Damon cry? <laughs> I love Damon. I just love him so much, you know? And then my my best friends who watch the show with me where I, you know, I show them the advanced cuts, they just watch it for the experience. And they that never would occur to them to ship one couple over the next. And you know, and and the idea that there's even like a debate about who should be with who is sort of so mind blowing to them because they just love the world and they love the characters. So um it it's it's a, it's actually you know i mean it's off topic to the book thing but it is one of the most difficult lessons to learn i think as a storyteller in the age of social media that you know often it is the angriest that are that speak the loudest or the most thrilled that speak the loudest but somewhere in between those two sides exists Everybody else And that everybody If they're this and this Everybody is this And most people At least you know I as a fan Watch television For an enjoyment Of the world The characters The emotion The journey And I have to remember That when I watched um, You know 24 I just wanted to see Jack Bauer save the world You know And there was Yes I loved little romantic things Or I loved like friendship things Or I loved whatever But it never really like it, it didn't drive my my point of view as a fan, and I think not to not to marginalize the two sort of very active and vocal parts of the fan base, but I do actually think that the overall audience um, is like, hey, cool, that was cool, like, <laughs> my, you know. <laughs> Oh, that episode, yeah, that was pretty good. Like, my best friend, she's like, yeah, that was a good one. I really liked that one. Or, hey, that was great. And she's like, yeah, that was all right. You know, I mean, that, but that's the feedback that I get, you know? And then I think that that's more true than, you know, than a lot of other things.
1: And that's actually all the time we have. So, thank you three so much for doing this. And thank all of you guys for coming out.
0: Now, leaving nerdist.com.